Um, we are in a series today called Relationship Goals. We're kicking it off today. We're going to talk about the power of relationships. And uh, man, I'm just so excited for this series. And I want to do this before we get started. I want to welcome all those who are joining us online via Facebook Live. Come on, OSC family. Let's welcome all those. So glad you're watching. If you got some notes, uh, jump in with me today. We're going to kick off in Jeremiah 29, 11, a very, very familiar passage, probably for those who have been raised in church in any, any form. But I want, to, I want to start this series off today with just us laying the foundations of why you need relationships in the first place. Next week, we're going to get into marriage. Um, we're going to get into singleness. We're going to get into the practicalities of what, what real relationship goals is. I, I, I'm, I'm even looking at possibly doing a message on parenting. Would anybody want a message on parenting? Uh, okay. All right. Eight of y'all. And so um, might need a little bit more than that. But uh, we're definitely going to do marriage. We're going to hit on singleness. We're going to, we're going to talk I'll probably do one on parenting. I don't even know how long this series is going to go. We're going to see. I'm trying to write it out as, as we go now. So we'll see how this plays out. But, but today is Life Group Launch Sunday. We are launching over 50 life groups today. So excited. And uh, you saw all the tables walking in and, and all the, the stuff all over the place. We, we feel like as a, as a church, uh, the church shouldn't be a place you go to. It should be a family you belong to. And, and that you need to be connected. And, and so my heart, and I want you to hear this from me, my heart is that you will connect to life-giving people, life-giving relationships. And, uh, and we're going to dive into this a little bit. Jeremiah 29, 11 is where we're going to start and says this. And this is God, he's speaking and he, and he says this, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. And here's God's plans for your life. And I just want you to hear it as if God is speaking this directly to you. They, they are plans for what? For good, for good. God has great and good plans for you. Not for disaster, but to give you a future and to give you hope. And I think if there's anything that our, our society longs for is hope. They long for something good. How many know there's so many bad things on the news and so many bad things that happen in our life? How many know life is hard? But it's good to know that God is working all things out for your good. And he wants a hope and he wants a vision and he's got a future for you. And so that's our prayer as a church is that you catch hold of the future that God has for you. That your best days are yet to come. You have not settled on those. That God's got great things for you. And so my, my passion as, as your pastor is to help you come along this journey with us. Last week, Pastor Chris Hodges spoke. Come on, how I many was a great message? This is a powerful message. Just sharing, and you probably heard a lot of the things that we do. We've, we've gleaned a lot of just this idea of knowing God, finding freedom, discovering our purpose, making a difference, getting in the game, getting in the journey. Now, I don't know about y'all, how many of you in here um, are always in a hurry? Who are, who are my hurry people? Like, you're always in a hurry, you drive hurry. Now, listen, I'm from Texas originally, um, and, and so if there's anything that Texans are known for, is being very safe and cautious slow drivers. <laughs> <laughs> oh, anybody been to Houston? It's quite the opposite. If you don't move, they're going to move you. You're going to get out the way one way or the other, whether it's via their vehicle or via a gun hanging out the door, <laughs> you're going to get out the way. And, uh, and I lived in Houston for about 12, 13 years, and I lived in Dallas for another six years, and then I moved to Lafayette, and then I moved to Welsh. <laughs> Come on, is Welsh in the house? My peoples. And so it was like city came to country. And when I was 18, my grandmother bought me a 2000 Ford Mustang. Not smart. 
She loved me. But the Jennings police also loved me. I am, I am one that is not known for being a slow driver. You can ask my wife. She will tell you this is true. It's, um, I am a Christian man of God, just not behind the wheel. Because if you are going slow, it's, there's a lane for you. And you need to be in that lane. And so, come on, anybody, anybody with me on this one? Get in your lane. I got my lane. Get out of, your, get out of it. And so I, I, I'm that way. And, 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 and it, it flares up the worst when I'm at a traffic light. Because depending on where you are, especially like here in Jennings, nobody is in a hurry in Jennings. Nobody. And, and there are certain lights where I've been here long enough, I know how they're timed. And I know that when I pull up based off of where I am in the line, if we all move at the same time, we can all go. <laughs> but how many know now via social media and everybody's addiction to social media, they think when they get to a stoplight, it's time for them to check their Facebook. <laughs> and so the light turns green and sure enough, I know if we get going, I can make it. But they don't move. And so in my loving Christian man of God ways, I do a little, ha, ha. <laughs> what I want to do, though, is, ah, ah, go. Let's go. But I don't because I'm a pastor here in Jennings. And so I go, ha, ha. <laughs> pastor Josh, love tap. Let's, let's go. Let's go. And so I, I share all this because we are on a journey together as a church, and God is blessing our church and his favors on our church, and, 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 and we want to bring you on this journey with us. But we have in this journey these stoplights that we get to where we kind of pause and kind of recalibrate and all this stuff, but I'm here to tell you that there are other things that God wants to bring you on. Don't get stuck at the light. Let's, let's go. And so my prayer for this, this relationship series, when it comes to your marriage, when it comes to your singleness, when it comes to your parenting, when it comes to just being in relationships with people, that we would get on the road and let's go. Let's go. And, 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 and so today, I just want you to hear me. Let's go. The light is green. Don't stay stuck. You can move with us. You can move with us. Most people, though, get left behind because they don't want to go. I'm telling you today, if you want to see God's best, a future, and a hope, come on, let's go. Y'all ready to go? So let's go. So let's go. Here we go. We're going to start today with the, the big thought today is this. And if you want to write this down, if you got some notes, your destiny is tied to your relationships. Your destiny is tied to your relationships. First off, your relationship with God. Notice I didn't say your destiny is tied to your religion. I said it's tied to your relationships because God doesn't want your religion. He wants your relationship. He wants your heart. And it first starts with God. And we'll, we'll talk about this more in the end. But more than anything, God also relationally connects you to other people. We serve a relational God. Y'all know that, right? God is a relational God. God, we believe God the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, that God is self-sufficient, that in and of himself, he does not need anyone or anything. Everything that he has is, is in and of himself. He did did not create you and I because he was lonely. He created you and I because he loved us and he wanted to share what he had. And so relationship is all at the center of what God does. He is self-sufficient in and of himself. But listen to me closely. You're not God. 
you're not self-sufficient. Every, everything you need is not in you. I don't care what anybody says like, oh, just harness the chi and the power. No, it's not in you. All right? This is what you need is beyond you and can be around you because your destiny is tied to your relationships. Let me prove it to you. In the very beginning of the Bible, Adam and Eve, before even Eve showed up on the, on the scene, Adam is there by himself and, and God says, then the Lord God said to him, it is not good for the man to be what? For man to be alone. This is every single man's favorite verse right here. <laughs> Bring me a woman, God. Okay, so it's not good. Now, now think about this for a minute, that God would say, it is not good for man to be alone. Yet, Adam was not alone. Who was with him? God, right? But yet, why would God say it's not good for him to be alone? Because God was with him. He wasn't alone. God was with him. But God was trying to prove something to him that, yes, you need me, but you need more than just me. And so we know that he puts him to sleep and, and, and Eve comes out of him. And we'll talk a lot more about that next week in the things to come. But I think the bigger principle of what he's trying to tell us is this, that if you, if you want to write this down, for me to be the best me, I need somebody besides me. I'll say that again. For me to be the best me, I need somebody besides me. And you see this all throughout scripture, how great men and women of God did not get their destinies by themselves. Elijah needed Elisha. Adam needed Eve. Paul needed Timothy. Moses needed Joshua. Jesus needed his disciples. All throughout scripture, you see these people that were not content in trying to fulfill God's purposes for them life by themselves. They knew that they need other people in their life. The dream is great, but if you don't have a team, you don't achieve the dream. Before Jesus ever, ever tried to pursue a miracle or, or do a miracle, before he ever walked on water, before he ever uh, uh, turned the water into wine, before he raised people from the dead, he had a dream of what he was to do with his life. But, but the first thing we see in Jesus' life is he forms a team. Because you don't go as far as your dream, you go as far as your team. And so God is calling us to partner together. We need one another. And, and, and even our society, secular society, even understands this. Watch, let me show you a couple one. I mean, Batman needs Robin. Come on, somebody. Let me show you another one. Drew Brees needs Sean Payton. Now, let's just stop for a moment of silence. Okay, Jesus. All right. We will have prayer partners up here later for those who have a spirit of bitterness. Um, watch this. Peanut butter. Need some jelly. Come on, somebody. Let me give you the ultimate PB&J right here. This is the ultimate PB&J. Pastor Baba needs a Pastor Josh. Ultimate. The man, the myth, the legend. All right. Everybody needs somebody. I need PB. He needs me. Now I need a PJ too. He needs me. This is, this is where we are. And you need someone. That's why I titled this message, I need you, you need me. Look at somebody next to you, tell them that. Say, I need you, come on, tell them, and you need me. We're one big happy family. All right, so. So, y'all don't even want to go there, man. I'm, I got Jesus dust all over my shoes. This is, it's going to be good. So. Listen, so I went on this trip to, to Israel with 30 plus mega church pastors. I didn't know. 
Uh, these were guys who lead large churches. And I, I, of course, I was thinking, why am I here? And, um, and, and, and as I'm getting connected with all these guys, I don't know any of these guys. I, I knew one of them, um, but I didn't know a lot of them. And, and so I'm, I'm having conversations with guys are getting to know one another. And, and the questions that these guys kept asking me was, tell us a little bit about your church. How long have you been there? And so I'm like, I've been there 18 years. And they're like, What? There was only one other guy on this trip of 30 plus megachurch pastors that had been at his church longer than I had. And that guy was like 50 something years old. Only one other guy. And they were like, man, how did you, why, why are you at the same church? Because see, for those that may not know, in most church arenas, for someone to last that long is a, is a bit of an anomaly. Most pastors will pastor a church for a little bit and then they'll move on to what they think is greener pastures to bigger places. And, and I would give them the, the same line that I've given for many of years. And that is, I came here when I was 18 and I, f- I didn't just find a great church. I found a great family. And I've been here for 18 years because I found a great family. Yeah. Most pastors can't say that. And so I, I really feel like, honestly, this is a life message for me. And if you've been in our church for any duration of time, you've probably heard a message very similar to what I'm sharing to you today because this is just something that really oozes out of me because I feel so passionate about, the, about spiritual family, about being connected, because I know I am where I am because of that. I have reached and am continually reaching my potential because of the people that I have surrounded myself with. Here's the greatest thing. You don't have to be great as long as you surround yourself with great people. Some of y'all need to write that down. You don't have to be great if you surround yourself with greatness. Being around greatness makes you great. And I, I'm realizing that like on this trip, I'm like, why am I here? And I'm like, I'm just around great people. I'm like, favor ain't fair. I'm so honored to be on this. But yet God is wanting this for all of us. And so if God's desire is for us to be together, God's goal, God's relationship goal is for us to be together. Do you know the enemy also has a goal? The enemy's goal is isolation. Y'all hearing me? Isolation is the enemy's goal. It is his strategy to keep you from what God has for you. Let me show this to you. Proverbs chapter 18. All right, I got to roll. Proverbs 18 verse 1. Whoever isolates himself. Notice this is something that we do. It's not something that people do. It's something that we do. We isolate ourselves. And there's so many reasons why we isolate ourselves. Maybe you had a bad experience. Maybe somebody stabbed you in the back. Maybe somebody that you trusted did something that now you don't have trust. And and so you've isolated yourself. Maybe you went to the church and you got hurt and now you isolate yourself. Or, Or maybe there was friends that you had and you isolate. Whatever it is, we all have reasons and they're all legitimate reasons. And yet the Bible is very, 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 very big on not being isolated because whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire and he breaks out against all sound judgment. And so if you live an isolated life, let me show you three things are going to happen. Ready? If you, I I don't think I have this in your notes. It's just, this is lanyap. Okay. Extra things here. When you isolate, number one, you wander alone. You wander alone. So I, I, um, I went on a, a run while I was in Jerusalem. I thought, hey, there is no better place to do a run than in the city of Jerusalem. So I went and ran in Jerusalem. 
I Facebook Live some of it for, for some of y'all to see. Um, what, what you didn't see was after I got off of the Facebook Live, I was lost. <laughs> Not a good place to be lost in. I mean, maybe it's a good place. I don't know. At least I'd... But it was, I was running, and I was running down all these like, little alleyways, thinking that there was the main major road of the old city of Jerusalem on the other side. I was going to go see the Temple Mount. I was, you know, I was trying to go see all these places, and I'm running. And, uh, and then when I get off the video, I've been so focused on the video, I looked up, and I'm like, I don't know where I am. And one of the things that the tour guide was said was just, don't go by yourself. <laughs> it's the inner rebel that's in me. And... Um, I mean, it's, it's perfectly safe. It really is a safe. It's an incredibly safe area. Um, but, I, but I didn't know where I was going. And thank God for Google Maps. Let me just say thank God for Google Maps. I had my phone, and so I was able to track back to our hotel and all this stuff, and all was good. But I realized I was by myself, and when you're by yourself, you wander alone. The second thing is the only time that you quit is when you're alone. You quit alone. You have every great intention of going to the gym and running two miles. You get, you know, a half a mile in, you're like, I'm done. The only time, think about this, the only times in your life that you have probably quit was when you were by yourself. It's hard to quit when you're around other people. They push you to keep going. And then the third thing is you settle alone. I'm going to tell you, one of the greatest things about being around great people is they won't let me settle. They won't let me stay. They won't let me get stuck. I can tell you right now, for all of those that are in this room that feel like you're just stuck, like you're not moving, you're not getting, gaining any traction, that you're just where you are, it's probably because you're doing life alone. Because the, the great thing about being around greatness is they, want, they will pull you out of the pit to get you moving on forward. They'll look at you and go, you've got more in you. Let's go. Let's get back up. Hey, come on. Lean on me. We got this. Let's go. And so isolation is one of the greatest strategies of the enemy. And I'm telling you right now, God wants you to be connected to people. Now, I want to share a story with you of, 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 of a man in the Old Testament named David. One of the, the Bible would call him a man after God's own heart. I mean, that's how he ended his life in, in Acts. There's a, there's a verse in Acts that says that David fulfilled his call for his generation I don't know about you, that's what I want to be said about me. My middle name is actually Joshua David Belt, and I, I pray that that would be a thing on my life. Joshua was a pioneer. Joshua was one who went and started new things. Joshua was the one that took what Moses did and actually brought the people into the promised land. And so I've always had these prophetic things spoken over me based off of what my name is, but David's my middle name, and that he was a man after God's own heart. There's any prayer that I pray is that, God, I want to be a man after your heart. Not after other people's heart, after your heart. I want to serve my generation well, whenever that is. And I think all of us in here would probably say that's probably your same desire. Like you want to serve God with all that you have. You want to do every single thing that God calls you to do, whether that's raising those kids that he's given you, whether that's fulfilling that call that he's put on your life, whether it's pursuing your passions, whatever it is. David did that. But David did not do that alone alone. And I, I want to I walk you through a journey of, of what brought David to be able, at the end of his life, say he fulfilled his call. So I want us to start back to the beginning, and I, and I want us to look at the godly relationships that God put into his life and what that means for you and I. So if, you, if you're taking notes, I want you to write this first thing down. Godly relationships call out the best in you. Godly relationships call out the best in you. 
One of the very first times that we meet David is in 1 Samuel. You can go read it for yourself. 1 Samuel chapter 16, a prophet by the name of of Samuel receives a word from the Lord that says, I want you to go to Jesse, who's David's father, and I'm going to show you who to anoint as the next king. At that time, King Saul was the king. Um, he, king Saul had loved God for a little bit of time, but then kind of derailed. And so God was removing the anointing off of, off of Saul, and he was going to put it on someone new. And so he went to the prophet, the man of God at that time, who was Samuel, and said, I want you to go to Jesse, and you're going to anoint one of his boys. Jesse had eight sons, eight sons. His eighth son was a kid by the name of David, who we know. He had a job of tending sheep. He was a shepherd guy. And so when, when Samuel Facebook messaged Jesse and said, hey, I'm coming to you. This is the modern version. I want you to bring all your boys together. I'm going to anoint one of those who's going to be the next king. Well, when, when Samuel gets there, Jesse has all of his boys, seven of them. Guess who's missing? David. So he's got all seven of them. He's got his oldest, most strapping, most strongest looking son. And Samuel looks at him and says, that's not him. And then he goes, who's the next one? That's not him. 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 And it's the chapter where we get the verse that says that God, that man looks at the outside, but God looks at the heart. And David, uh, Samuel says, do you have another son? He's like, oh yeah, snap. Mm, Little D. Yeah. He's, um, (laughs) he's out with the sheep, you know, uh, He'd been busy, you know, and Samuel says, call him in. And so David walks into this meeting. Imagine this, a meeting that you were not invited into that you should have been invited into. And he walks into this meeting. What's going on, guys? And Samuel, watch this, watch. Now we catch up in the verse. And the Lord says, this is what the Lord says to Samuel. This is the one, anoint him. And so David stood there among his brothers, and Samuel took the flask of the olive oil he had brought, and he anointed David with the oil, and the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on. Now, you would think at that moment, Spirit of God is on him. He has anointed him. You are going to be the next king. You would think, all right, now he's going to go get ushered to wherever King Saul is, and King Saul's going to give him the crown, and it's all going to be good. You know what happens? He goes back out to the sheep. Goes back out to being a shepherd. But it's amazing. I love this story because it was God that brought a man into his life that called something out of him that he didn't see in and of himself. His family didn't see it in him. Nobody else saw it in him. But a man of God saw something inside of this boy that God said, this is the man, anoint him. He's going to be the next ruler. And because of that, we know that not only was he anointed, but the spirit of God comes on him. Here's the question that I have for you is, who is that in your life? Who is that that calls out the best out of you? David, of course, probably dealt with insecurities. David, of course, probably dealt with rejection. David, of course, had to deal with all of these things because his family didn't want to have anything to do with him. They had totally forgotten him. And here we are, a man that's not even a part of their family steps in and says, there's a call of God on your life. And I don't know about y'all, but I've had that same situation in my life where I've had family that has disappointed me, family that's hurt me. I'm thankful for men like Pastor Bubba who looked at me at 18 years old when I was hurt by my dad and hurt by people around me and hurt by authority and hurt by things. And Pastor Bubba says, you are a man of God and God's going to use you powerfully. Well, 18 years later, I'm living in words that were spoken over to me for 18 years. And I'm telling you right now, if there's anything we want to create as a culture of this church is everybody's got a label on you of what they think you can't do. We're here to tell you what God wants to do in your life. 
He's got a call in your life. It would go on, Proverbs chapter 17, uh, 27, verse 17 says, As iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. Sharpen means to improve, means to enhance, means to make sharp. Let me ask you this question. Who around you, are the people around you making you sharp or making you dull? Watch, watch this next scripture, Proverbs chapter 13, verse 20. I love this in the message translation. It says, become wise by walking with the wise. Hang out with fools and watch your life fall to pieces. Now notice this. You're not, if, if, if you're, you don't get in trouble because you're a fool, you get in trouble because you hang out with fools. So you could be a fool and not get in trouble because you're not with them, but you could be a fool and get in a lot of trouble just because you're around them. I don't know about y'all, in high school, I wanted to be popular, I wanted to be with the in crowd, and I got in a lot of trouble because I was just with the wrong people. But I love this at the same time, like I said earlier, you don't have to be great, you just gotta be around greatness, because when you, it says, become wise by walking with the wise. That if I just get around wise people, I naturally become wise, because it rubs off on me. And this is a part of being in environments where people are calling these things out of you. This is what God is calling us to do. I, I was watching a while back the, um, the, the speeches of the Football Hall of Fame. Kurt Warner, um, who played for the Los Angeles Rams, he's an amazing man of God, loves God passionately. At his Hall of Fame commencement speech, it was so amazing. He, he said, I want to honor my junior high football coach. And the camera pans, and it's an 85-year-old man sitting in the bleachers. And he said, it's because of, a lot of because of what this man did, to my, did in my life whenever I was a junior high kid that gave me a passion for football, that gave me a passion for life, that helped me be where I am. And I was thinking about this idea. That man will never get an accolade. That man will never get a reward. That man will never get notarized. That man will never have his name put on TV or blasted. But right there in that moment, he honored a man who put a seed inside of him that was birthed into being what he became because of that man. I wonder how many things we do in secret that nobody knows about that we are planting the seed and the next Billy Graham and the next presidents and the next governors and the next men of God and the next pastors. This is why OSC Kids and this is why OSC Youth is so important for us and why we believe. This is why your kids right now are in a small group led by a small group leader. On Wednesday nights, your youth will be in here in a church with a small group leader that will be calling the potential of God into their life because in those moments, you don't realize how formative those moments are for them to form their identity of who they are in Christ. And come on, if we can get our young people to understand that you don't have to wait to be great, you can be great right now. Are y'all with me? Getting around people who call the best out of you. I'm tired of being around people who constantly cut down. Every TV, you know, late night show is these hosts cutting other people down. And it's nauseating. Because all of us want to be in an environment where you're lifted up. Where you're called up. Not just called out, but called up to be all God has for you. Number two, godly relationships call to God for you. They call to God for you. David is on the run now for his life. King Saul, fast forward, King Saul is after him. King Saul is jealous of the anointing that's on David's life. David is running for his life. He's in the wilderness. He gets, gets word that David, David is after him. And I want you to see how God, yet again, divinely puts a godly relationship into his life. Because in this moment of David's life, David is tired. David is exhausted. David wants to quit. 
I, I got the anointing. Supposedly I'm going to be the next king, but nothing's happening. And I don't know if you've ever been there. I hear about the promises of God. I believe God's got promises for me, but I ain't seeing nothing. You been there? And I want you to see how God providentially brings a godly relationship yet again into David's life. Look with me in 1 Samuel 23. It says, while David was at Horesh in the desert of Ziph, he learned that Saul had come out to take his life. Now watch this. And Saul's son, think about how ironic this is. The man who wants to kill him, his son, Jonathan, goes to David at Horesh, and what does he do? He helps him find strength in God. What a friend. First off, Jonathan is supposed to be the next king. Not David. But Jonathan is so secure in who he is, he knows that God has chosen David. And so instead of competing against David, he celebrates David. Which, by the way, you need friends in your life that don't want to compete with you. They want to celebrate you. When you succeed in life, they're not, they're not jealous of you. They celebrate you. Which is what G.K. Chesterton says. Watch this when he talks about friendships. In prosperity, your friends know you. But in adversity, you know who your friends are. And is this not the truth? That it's, it's when, when the hard times hit that you really know who your friends are. And this is what Jonathan was to David in this moment. David didn't need a miracle. He needed a brother. And that's what he got. Proverbs chapter 17, verse 17 says, A friend is always loyal. And a brother is born to help in time of need. I don't know about y'all, I have some incredible spiritual brothers in my life that, that are fulfillments of this scripture that have been incredible helps in times of need. Because I, I don't know about you, I don't just need people to hang with me, I need people to help me. There's some people that just want to hang with you, but they don't want to help you. I got friends. I don't need more people to hang with. I need people that will help me get to where God has called me to be. Listen, if you want to just hang with me, that's cool. We'll chill out sometime. But I need people who will help me be all that God has called me to be. And there will be some people that just want to hang with you because they need friends. But I'm going to tell you right now, if you want to fulfill the passions and purposes of God, you better get some people around you who can help you, not just hang with you. People that will help you in your marriage. People that will help you in your finances. People that will help you in your relationships. People will help you in, in your relationship with God. And often the answer to your prayers come in the form of people. Think about this. In this moment, David needs a miracle. He's got people chasing after him. And God doesn't send him a miracle. God doesn't kill Saul. God sends him a brother that just says, hey, I'm here to encourage you. Lean on me when you're not strong. I'll be your friend. I'll help you carry on. Foe, it won't be. Oh, okay, no, it's not right I think Jonathan wrote that song. It's not biblical or theological, but I think. And what encourages me the most, listen to me closely, on a Sunday, it's not when people flood and fill this church. That's awesome. I'm so glad you're here. What encouraged my soul the most is when we dismiss and to see pockets of people in the foyer, outside in the parking lot, or up here in the front, and people praying for one another. Because it's one thing to go to church and get inspired. It's another thing to go to church and let people come along with you and help you get transformation. Where you can come into a place and be vulnerable. That you can walk up to, to someone. I remember, 
a, a number of years ago, I walked up to a guy who I've been walking with for a long time here at this church. And I walked into church. It was a Sunday. I was getting ready to preach. And he walked up to me. He's like, man, how you doing? I said, man, I'm all good. And he said, bull. Except he added another part to that one. <clears throat> He's not religious by any means. <laughs> and I said, you know what? You're right. And sometimes I just need people just to look at me and go, bull. I can tell. You need people in your life who know you. Like you can't fake it. You can try to fake it. How are you doing? Oh, I'm blessed. Yeah, right. <laughs> Let me ask your wife. How is he? <laughs> you ain't blessed. <laughs> like you need people that will love you. Which actually leads me to number three, and that is that godly relationships call out the truth to you. You fast forward in this story, David does become king. He's a phenomenal king. He's ruling and reigning. God is blessing him. He's prospering. The hand and the favor of God is on him like you can't even imagine. Everywhere that he goes, God is giving him victory after victory after victory. And then there's a verse in 2 Samuel where David sends out, he, he thinks everything's going good, so he coasts. He, he isolates and he settles. I'm good. And he sends his guys out to war, which he should have been out there with. And he goes up to the top of his palace. I had the incredible privilege this week to actually go stand where David was in his palace and look over Israel, over Jerusalem, and saw exactly how this would have played out where he saw a woman bathing on the rooftop. Her name was Bathsheba. And he sent his servant to go find her and he said, bring her back to me. Well, we know he's the king. He gets whatever he wants. So she comes and of course he sleeps with her. She becomes pregnant. And he's like, what am I gonna do in this situation? I mean, everybody's gonna know. Her husband's been off to war. So he devises this scheme that he's going to bring Uriah, who is Bathsheba's husband, back home and, and, and get him drunk and send him to his house so he could be with his wife. Well, Uriah is a loyal man of God. Uriah sleeps on the doorsteps of David's palace and won't go home because he says, if my men are off to battle, I'm not going to enjoy the pleasures of home. I'm staying right here. So David says, I don't know what I'm going to do. So David writes a letter, folds it, puts his signet ring on it, and gives it to Uriah and says, hey, when you go back to the war, I want you to give this to the commander. What he does not know is he actually is delivering his own death warrant. Because he would give it to the commander, the commander would open up this piece of paper, and it would read, when you're in the middle of battle, put Uriah on the front lines, and when the battle gets heated the most, pull all the guys back and leave Uriah out there. The commander does what the king says. Uriah dies. Word gets back to, to, to David. Uriah's dead. He thinks, I got away with it. But what he doesn't know is God sees everything. So God speaks to another man of God, a prophet by the name of Nathan. And yet again, just like he did with Samuel, just like he did with Jonathan. Now he sends another man of God into David's life 
David, and he goes, King David, I need to have a meeting with you. He sits down and has a meeting, and he begins to share a story about how one man had all of these sheep, and another man who was a poor man only had one sheep, and how this rich man that had all these sheep took the one sheep from this other man. He says, David, what do you think we should do? David says, kill him. (laughs) And Nathan says this. Then Nathan says to David, you're the man. You're the man. And in that moment, David breaks down. He repents. He realizes that God has seen all of this that's gone on. And David pens one of the most well-known chapters in all of the Bible, Psalms 51. David's prayer in Psalms 51 is, God, create in me a clean heart. Create in me a clean heart. David goes on from there, and of course we know the rest of his story. There's still consequences to his sin, but God still gives him favor. And, God, and, and, and at the end of his life, he's still called a man after God's own heart. I don't know about y'all, This story gives me such encouragement because he wasn't perfect. He loved God. He failed miserably. But how many know grace is grace and it restores and it heals and it builds? But how many know you wouldn't have this if you didn't have a Nathan? Think about what David's life trajectory would have been if Nathan wouldn't have stepped in and said, hey, we need to have a conversation. I love this verse. We're going to end with this. Proverbs 27, 6 says, you can trust a friend who wounds you with his honesty. I don't know about y'all, but I need somebody besides me that can tell me about me. I'm gonna say that again. I need somebody besides me that can tell me about me. All of us are getting counsel. The problem is the majority of us are getting counsel from ourselves. And I don't know about you, but all of us have blind spots. So here's the question. Is there anybody in your life that loves God and loves you and will give you outside insight? Outside insight. Now, I don't know know about y'all. It's not easy to hear. Can we just be honest in here? It is not easy to hear when someone says, hey, I need to talk to you, and they tell you something that it's just, "Mm, thank you, bless you, thank you. Yes. It's not. But I'm going to tell you what, you can trust a friend who wounds you with his honesty. Because here's the truth. Anybody that comes to you and tells you the truth about yourself, they're risking the relationship more than you are. And I'm thankful. I'm thankful for men and women of God. The Bible says a man who finds a wife finds a good thing. I find a great thing. But can I tell you right now, That beautiful blonde-haired woman that I have has changed me. She's told me things I don't want to hear. We've sat at the dinner table, you know, with other people at a restaurant, and she's put her hand on my leg, and I'm thinking, oh, yeah. (laughs) But what she was actually saying was, shut up. (laughs) Shut up. And then it was after we get in the car, and I, I thought it was a love touch. It wasn't. It was a, like, you need to shut up touch. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for that. You and I need that. Let me end with this. Your spiritual maturity is revealed by the health of your relationships. Our society wants you to believe that you are spiritually mature when you know a lot of the Bible. 
when you've memorized a lot of the Bible, when you can teach a lot of the Bible. I am not impressed with people who know a lot of the Bible. I am impressed with people who do a lot of the Bible. And for you to say, man, I love God, but you treat your wife bad? Or you treat your kids wrong? Or you scream at that waitress? Are you impatient to those around you? We need to check our spiritual maturity by the health of our relationships. You can't say you love God and not love the people next to you. It's impossible. So we're going to go on a journey over the next number of weeks. And we're going to ask God, God, give us your heart for our relationships. God, heal my marriage. Strengthen my, my family. Restore these things. The enemy is after isolating you. God wants to bring you together. So what's some action steps? Get in next step. Get in next step. At 11.15, actually in, in about 30 minutes, step two starts. If you were part of step one last week, jump in at step two. If you weren't in part of step one, get in step one in March. Get in. It's not a program. I'm trying to get you planted to family. I'm trying to help you discover your purpose. Get, get on a dream team. If you're isolated right now, let me tell you something. The greatest thing you can do if you're isolated, you're struggling with depression, you're just struggling with all these things, is to serve other people. Get something in your life greater than your depression and serve along with other people. Give yourself to something beyond yourself. And then last is, man, get in a life group. This, this, this whole Sunday is devoted to helping you get connected to family. Now, whether you get connected to family or not is up to you. But hey, listen to me. All eyes on me. <laughs> Let's go. Let's go. It's all there for you. You just got to get going. Take the step. Take the step. Father, we love you. God, we thank you today, Lord, for all that you're doing in this house. God, we pray today, Lord, that you would strengthen relationships that you would forge new relationships, connect new people today. I pray right now against every lie of the enemy, right now that people are listening to in their own mind that the enemy is trying to plant that you don't need this. Don't do this, you'll get hurt again. God, I pray right now, Lord, that you would step in and that you would, you would reveal to them the greatness of what you have for them, but realizing our destiny is tied to our relationships. So God, today, Lord, we thank you. If you're here in this room and you don't have a relationship with the most important one, which is with God himself, I want to help you. See, the Bible is a love story. It's that he created us to be in communion and relationship with him, but because of sin, because of us doing our own thing, we were separated from God. And yet he loved us enough to send his son to come and to live the life that you and I couldn't live. And he gave his life. Jesus wasn't forced to, he gave it. He gave it as an act of worship. And he paid for our sins. He paid for our shame. He paid for our guilt. He took all those things on himself. He rose again. And a beautiful exchange happens when you and I confess that Jesus is Lord of our life. He gives us our right, his righteousness and we give him our shame, our guilt, our sin. It's the greatest trade. And God begins to come and he changes you from the inside out. From a have to 
to a want to. If you're here in this room and you don't have that kind of relationship with God, I don't want you to walk out of this place without having that. If you're here, say, Pastor Josh, I want that kind of relationship with God. On the count of three, I want you to shoot your hands up. One, two, three. That's you all over this room. All over this room. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Praise God. You can put your hands down. Let me just pray over you. Let's just repeat this together. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus to take my place, my shame, my guilt, and my sins. Today, I acknowledge you as Lord of my life. Be my Savior. I turn from my sins, and I turn to you. I surrender my life. Have it all. Thank you for giving me a place in heaven, purpose on earth, and a relationship with the Father. In Jesus' name.